I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. In this hour, today in Memphis, Tennessee, at the Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church, funeral services are being held for Tyree Nichols, murdered, of course, by Memphis police days ago. We will speak in a moment with prominent civil rights attorney, our friend and brother, Ben Crump, who is representing the Nichols family just before he steps inside that church for this funeral and will also be joined for the hour by our uh, civil rights attorney uh, and towering public intellectual, our regular contributor, Connie Rice, who will offer her reflections on this sick and sad saga and talk more broadly throughout the hour about extremism in police culture, given that the sheriff just left the seat that Connie is now occupying live in studio. Ben Crump, I know you got a full day. I am honored, my friend, that you called me. Let me ask you how you're feeling this morning for starters, sir. You know, Tavis, it is uh, an emotional day because this is a watershed moment in American history. You all in Los Angeles know far too well about the moment when Rodney King video was revealed to America in 1991. And now, in 2023, it is another shameful watershed moment in America with this video of the police lynching of Tyree Nichols. Yeah. What does Ben Crump, um, prominent civil rights attorney, uh, you are the one that people call when uh, they need to hold the system accountable. Uh, somebody once said, you are black America's attorney general. You're our attorney general. You're our AG. Uh, what, what does Ben Crump say about the fact that these five officers who have been fired and charged with murder uh, happen to be African-American? Well, you know, Tavis Smiley, uh, I've been doing this now for almost 25 years, civil rights all across America. And what I have determined is that it's not the race of the police officer that is the determining factor of whether they're going to engage in excessive use of force, but it is the race of the victim. Mm. And oftentimes, Tavis, it's black and brown citizens who bear the brunt of police brutality. We don't see videos of our white brothers and sisters who are unarmed having this level of excessive force levied on them. Where are those videos? Mm, mm. I know you're speaking at the funeral today. Um, from what I'm, what I'm seeing in reports, and you are giving what's being termed a call to action. Can you give us a sense of what you intend to say moments from now uh, at this church, Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in Memphis at Tyrese Funeral? Certainly that this uh, call for action, this plea for justice, isn't just for Tyree, the son. This isn't just for Tyree, the brother. It's not just for Tyree, the father, but this is, most importantly, for Tyree, the human being. Mm. Because those police officers at, from Memphis, Tennessee, part of this Scorpion unit, they did not see the humanity in Tyree Nichols. I mean, why is it that none of them could see the humanity in Tyree? And so this isn't just a call of action for justice for Tyree. This is about humanity for Tyree. Mm. 
two more questions. I'll let you go. I, I know you're on a tight schedule, and for you to literally take time to call me before you walk in this church uh, means a great deal to me, and you've always honored and respected our friendship and brotherhood, and I love you dearly, as you well know. Um, and, and your brilliance. Your no, brilliance. You're kind. Have a smile. You're kind, man. I thank you. Um, let, let me ask you, um, you mentioned that you've been doing this for almost almost uh, three decades now. Um, all these years later, what does what happened in Memphis <clears throat> to Tyree Nichols say to you about the state of policing? We're going to talk to Connie Rice about that for the rest of the hour, but your take on it right quick. What, is it, what does this say to you about the state of policing? Because you mentioned Rodney King here in L.A. Yeah. 30 years ago. Here we are again, and, and not just Rodney, but, I mean, you, you, many of these are your clients. I mean, George Floyd and, 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 and Michael Brown, Taylor. Breonna Taylor, uh, Tamir Rice, uh, you know, uh, uh, of course, uh, 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 just so, I mean, the, the list is just so long. Um, what, what does this say to you about policing in America that we are still experiencing this, Ben Crump? Ben, that lose you to push your, that lose your, maybe you push the mute button on your phone. It's officers. There you go. Yeah. Say, say that. I, I missed your first part of your answer, Ben. Say that again. Ben, can you hear me? Uh, if you push your mute button on your phone with your hand or your face, maybe we cut you off. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's cutting in and out. Yeah, um, that's what happens. Well, how we saw in that video, how we saw in that video, just as much as those five officers. Mm -hmm. Ben, say that one more time. Your first part got cut off. We missed your first part of your comment. I'm sorry. Okay. Tavis Smiley, it is the institutionalized policing culture in America that says, regardless if you're black, Hispanic, or white, that you're allowed to trample on the constitutional rights of certain citizens. So just as much as we hold responsible those five black police officers who were arrested and everybody else in that Scorpion unit who was on the scene, every single one of them, it is also the culture of policing in America that is responsible for Tyree Nichols' death. And I want to be exceedingly clear on this one point. Mm -hmm. The fact that these five black police officers were terminated, arrested, and charged in less than 20 days is the blueprint going forward now, Tavis Smiley. Mm -hmm. You know, the police chief said that it was important that the community see us take swift action, that we move swiftly towards justice. Well, Going forward, now that's the blueprint, whether mm -hmm. it's a black police officer or a white police officer, because just like when it was Laquan McDonald in Chicago and there was evidence of police crime on video, why did it take a year, two years to investigate? When it was Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, why did it take two years to investigate? When it was Eric Gardner mm. in uh, New York, why, first, I can't breathe case, why did it take two years? Terrence Crutcher, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, Stephon Clark, Sacramento, California, Pamela Turner, Houston, Texas, all these crimes captured on video, but yet they say it takes all this long time to investigate. Well, our community is saying now, we're going to start counting 20 days mm. after you got that video and say, hold on, y'all could arrest the five black police officers in 20 days, but now when it's white police officers, y'all change the rules. No, no, this is the blueprint going forward. And that is why he is Ben Crump, and we are all the better for it. So many families are grateful to him 
for representing uh, their best interests in these uh, cases against the state. Uh, and there is none better. Ben Crump, I love you. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Thank you again for taking the time before you go in this service today. I appreciate you for uh, literally just getting on the phone. And we'll do it again down the road, my friend. Hey, God bless you, Travis Pilot. Keep being a voice for the voiceless. Thank you, sir. That's Ben Crump, uh, the attorney for the Nichols family, uh, as he's about to enter the Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in Memphis for that funeral that was delayed by weather, but will, in fact, start uh, moments from now uh, in the city of Memphis. When we come forward uh, on KBLA Talk 1580, for the rest of this hour, another brilliant civil rights attorney, Harvard trained, uh, towering public intellectual, uh, contributed to this program, and I couldn't be happier about it. She's live in studio today. We'll pick up where Ben Crump left off with Connie Rice when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. Uh, I am always honored to be in dialogue with Connie Rice uh, when I uh, launched this station a year and a half ago and uh, started reaching out to people to join me to be regular contributors. Connie Rice was at the top of my list because I have such great respect for her intellect, for her compassion, for her humanity, and for uh, for not biting her tongue. <laughs> and so, <laughs> always a delight to be in dialogue with you, Connie Rice. How are you today? Thanks for coming in, first of all. Well, first of all, thanks. Thank you for having me. And uh, the brilliance is reflected back, I tell you, Tavis. No, you're, it's, it's amazing no, what you're, you're doing. You're kind. I thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you heard Ben Crump um, a moment ago. You were sitting here while you and I were both listening to him. Um, and that last, um, uh, that last comment where he just rolled it out, uh, which I thought was beautiful, that there's got to be a new standard. Everybody's been talking about the fact that um, these black, I mean, I don't know anybody in black America who has said anything other than the fact that they were wrong. We've said it in a variety of ways, but there's no way. It's indefensible. Everybody says that. On the other hand, people do realize, because we ain't stuck on stupid, that they would not have been fired as quickly and charged as quickly had they been white cops in Los Angeles and beyond. There are white cops right now who are on the desk. They're on paid leave while they're being investigated for murdering a a fellow citizen. So we know how this process works. You know it better than most because you've sued police departments, including LAPD. You've worked with them for reform. You are an expert in this particular field. Uh, So I think Ben Crump has created a new framework here. I mean, the paradigm has shifted. He's trying to build a new construct. And that new construct, as I heard it, is don't tell us ever again that you can't do this in less than 20 days. Is he onto something? Is it a rusted judgment? You tell me. It's not a rusted judgment. I, th- I think I think he's right in this way, Tavis. Mm-hmm. Uh, to s- insist that there be a rapid response to this kind of violence, this police violence, mm-hmm. I think is the right is the right tack. the The reason that I'm, I'm you hear a little bit of hesitation is that. The laws aren't written for that. Mm-hmm. The The playing field is actually created to advantage the police. And Attorney Crump and I both know this as lawyers. The community knows it as they, they've watched these, the, the, the abusive uh, incidents from cops over and over and over again. And no response. I'll tell you something on this one. I first heard of this beating, of Tyree Nichols' beating, on the radio. Mm-hmm. And as I was listening, I said, oh, another one. And then when I heard they'd been instantly fired, I said, the cops are black. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason that is, is because... You, you, you knew it instinctively. I just, it, it was just my gut. I said, yeah. let me check, let me mm-hmm. check. That, that mm-hmm. was my gut reaction. Just mm-hmm. like that, I said, oh, they're black. 
And the reason it is because 2%, let, let's be generous and mm -hmm. say that 2% of the incidents that actually become known, the abusive incidents that are known, because as you know, even the, the, the report in the Nichols killing, you wouldn't have known there was any kind of abuse at all, just as with the, the Derek Chauvin uh, report. Remember the report after the murder mm -hmm. of George Floyd? Derek Chauvin's police report, the initial police report, said he died because of a medical incident. There was nothing about a knee strangling him on his, on his neck for nine minutes. Mm -hmm. None of that. It wouldn't have even been picked up had the, had the folks not been there on the curb with their, with their, with their, with their uh, uh, cell phone mm -hmm. uh, photos. So uh, in this incident, if you read the initial report, it was a lie. So most of these incidents don't even get picked up. Let's start there. But of the ones that are picked up and, and make it to the surface and people say, there's something wrong here. This person shouldn't have, been, shouldn't have died. This person shouldn't have been rocked to death like Freddie Gray in the back of a truck. Mm -hmm. This person shouldn't have been killed over Lucy cigarettes or, or a dangling freshener or paper plates on their car because they just bought the car and they don't have their license plates. African Americans, nobody should be dying because of loose cigarettes. Mm -hmm. But incident after incident, when you look at how it rolls out, you see all the spike strips to actually getting accountability. And when you're talking about police accountability, you're going up against a system that's actually made to enhance their license. They have licenses to arrest. They have licenses to kill. They have licenses to pull you over. So we, so society has given them a leeway, and and I think this takes us back because I, I think I remember one time you, you really really kind of argued with me and you said you know, we we'll arm wrestle every now and then, Tavis, but mm -hmm. we usually we usually <laughs> fi we usually finish each other's sentences. But, we do, but we, we do go at it sometimes. And we I remember one of the last times we were arm wrestling was when I said if you're talking about accountability after a beating or a killing, it's too late. Mm -hmm. And I remember you just said, can't be too late, Connie. Mm -hmm. We got it. And this is what Attorney Crump and you were saying is, at, even at the end, at the end of the spectrum, if you're talking about post-beating, post-killing, what happens to the cops, you're in the accountability frame, right? You're right. talking about justice right. for a clear wrong that right. we actually caught on tape or something. And, and, and yes, you've got civil rights lawyers like Ben Crump and Johnny Cochran and Brian Dunn and Carl Douglas and Connie Rice, and we all go in. We try to get justice for the families. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is we can actually get justice. We can send a Derek Chauvin to prison. We might send these, these officers to prison. They're the exception. One to two percent of the incidents that we find out about end up getting charged. Even less than that, mm. found guilty. But of that tiny percentage... They're disproportionately officers of color. So even when you're talking about getting accountability against officers of color, you're, you're talking about still an extension of a system that is riven and woven through with the fundamental racism that began 400 years ago. You said so much um, that I want to um, interrogate and give you a chance to unpack. Let me start with this. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, um, and we'll talk about this, i got a few questions I want to ask you about what Sheriff Luna said to us in our exclusive conversation uh, last hour. We'll get to that a little bit later in this hour, get your take on uh, Luna's comments. Um, but uh, in that very chair that you sit now, Luna was there uh, an hour ago last Thursday. LAPD Chief Michael Moore was there. He, as you well know, was given a five-year, uh, a second five-year term yesterday. We'll talk about that as well in this hour. Lots to talk about this hour, Connie Rice. Glad you're here. We'll talk about Luna. We'll talk about Michael Moore. I'm raising Michael Moore <clears throat> in this moment because he got in some trouble uh, a little while ago, as you well know, 
uh, with the police union, uh, the, the police protective league here in Los Angeles, uh, for uh, not defending, as they would put it, his officers in one of these shootings. Uh, that it appeared to him that it didn't really go down by the book. I'm paraphrasing what Chief Moore said uh, some weeks ago. I raised that because you used the phrase rapid response. And I hear Ben Crump's point that, you know, don't tell us that you can't do it inside of 20 days. Just playing devil's advocate here, though, um, is rapid response the right way to go if we want to be fair to the cops as well? You want due process. Yeah. And there are rules. You've got contracts. You've got union rules. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there are protections for the officer, as there should be. Uh, but the problem is, is that most of the time the investigations, they're not investigations, they're exonerations. Mm. Uh, they're not interested in really finding out what happened because you need to protect your system. Mm-hmm. Um, if this were about the safety of poor African Americans, the safety of people of color, the safety of poor immigrants, we wouldn't have this system. This system isn't designed to deliver safety to the communities we're talking about. Mm. It's designed to deliver control, mm. suppression and control and containment to those communities. They're not about that. I mean, if you're talking about doing safety, you don't send in, uh, you know, a Praetorian Guard squad with batons and tasers yanking people out of their cars and all the person, all the drivers asking is, what did I do wrong? Mm. And just asking that question warrants a beatdown because you actually questioned the police authority. And then you made them tase, then they're thinking, well, he's making us tase him. Uh, He's making us do pepper spray. They actually pepper sprayed each other. The thing was a tactical mess. Mm -hmm. But think think about the premise that in this community, in Tyree Nichols' community, you have a roving band of warriors who have been told there's a war on gangs, a war on crime. You go in there and you wage war. You saw a white hot a hyper-aggressive attack on, on a man. We didn't even see, they said he was doing erratic driving, but that's there's not on a, mm-hmm. it's not on any of the cameras. So we don't even know why he was pulled over, but for whatever reason he was pulled over, he wasn't resisting them. He was trying to comply. They're screaming, give me your arms, give me your arms, when, he's, when they're holding their arms. So he, they're actually lying for the cameras and the audio on the cameras so that it looks like mm-hmm. they have a reason to be doing what they're doing to him, and they don't. So when you look at this, the corruption of this system, it's so deeply endemic because society has said in poor black neighborhoods, there will not be safety. There will, the safety is for people living outside of that community, the people who fear black communities. And once we've defunded education, defunded health in these communities, defunded the grocery stores, you can mm-hmm. find you can find liquor stores, but you can't find fresh vegetables. Mm-hmm. These are these are these are deprivation sites. They're defunding sites. The only thing that isn't defunded is the police force. So, when you're looking, when you create a ghetto, when Chief Beck, Chief Charlie Beck, and I wrote an editorial that said, until the, this country recognizes and looks in the mirror and faces the fact that we as a society have created ghettos and barrios, and we send police in there to contain and suppress the despair, the deprivation, the, 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 the trauma that are in ghettos and barrios because we've decided these communities aren't going to have anything to make them functional. There's no social contract. There's no government contract. All there is is a police state, and the data shows that. Once you create a site like that, what's the police function? It's not to provide safety. It's to make sure that the violence and the trauma and the despair stay contained. Mm. Given that that's the formula, when you see 
the sort of performative art, the kabuki dance of, of expressing concern for these neighborhoods by anybody. I don't care whether it's it's a city council person or a police chief or, you know, what I see is us ignoring the screaming neon. What have we created? We've created this ghetto and the system is working as it was designed to work. That's why we can't fix it. We're not wrecking. We, we're, when, you know, when folks are talking about reform, they're thinking about my neighborhood mm-hmm. where it's total safety. People don't even lock their doors in my neighborhood. Okay? <laughs> I, I live in a ridiculous neighborhood. All right? I'm, I'm moving you to know, Connie's neighborhood. You know, I live in the Beverly Hills of Pasadena. All right? yeah, yeah, I live yeah. on my law partner's estate. Total safety. The, mm-hmm. the, the police chief asked to have tea. <laughs> You're not dragging me out of a car. He's asking to have tea, all yeah, right? Yeah. So we're not talking about my neighborhood. Right. In neighborhoods like mine, we get concierge safety. In most middle-class neighborhoods, even if they're mixed, but they're mostly white, you get respectful, rapid radio call response. You dial 911, an officer comes, and, to, and you know you explain what the problem is, and it gets solved. In working-class neighborhoods, you probably get rapid radio call response. It might, be as, as, it might not be as respectful. Mm-hmm. But in the inner city, because we're talking about inner city policing, we're not talking about policing overall. Right. We're talking about inner city policing. And that is a toxic mission. It is a mission that we've been told wars on drugs, wars on gangs, wars on crime. You send warriors in there, as Chief Beck says, you tell cops to do a war, they're going to create enemies. Yeah. The community is the enemy. So until you unwind that warrior ethos, until you unwind that warrior mentality, until you take that toxic mission away and give the cops a new mission of heal and build. You know what the gang cops call their the gang cops in, in a lot of areas? Mm. They call their police and they call it search and destroy. Mm. Search and destroy. We've created a policing we call heal and build. And it's not a policing system. It's a safety system a trauma reduction system, a violence reduction system, a resource infusion system. We're talking about refunding the community, investing in the community, and creating the conditions for safety. Then you can talk about safety, because what we're not talking about is safety. There was no safety for Tyree Nichols. Mm -hmm. There was no safety for George Floyd. There is no safety. Safety is the first of all civil rights. It's not speech. Dead people don't speak. Mm. <laughs> the first of all mm. civil rights is safety, Tavis. And the first of all freedoms is freedom from violence. We don't have either of those. Only rich, slave-owning aristocrats, as brilliant as the founding fathers were, could think the speech is the first right. I did not want to interrupt that soliloquy at all. <clears throat> Excuse me, because Connie just laid it out. Uh, in a way that the entire nation needs to hear. So glad this station is flagshipped in L.A., but glad we're heard across the nation because the nation, particularly on this day, uh, where they are eulogizing young Tyree Nichols in Memphis, uh, the nation needs to hear that. When we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, uh, I want to come to this notion that Connie raised earlier, um, before she got on that roll, about the fact that the law does, in fact, favor cops. Connie and I have discussed this before, literally, from the Supreme Court on down, just study the Supreme Court, from the Supreme Court on down, the law forever and ever and ever has always favored cops in this country. The question is, is there anything to be done about that? We'll get her take on uh, Michael Moore getting a five-year, second five-year term yesterday here in Los Angeles. We'll get her uh, her take on some of the comments made by Sheriff Luna in our exclusive conversation earlier today. A great deal more to talk about as we um, uh, remember the life and uh, times of young Tyree Nichols today being funeralized in Memphis. You're listening to KBLA Talk 15.
Tavis Smiley. She is Connie Rice, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. In case you've just tuned in, you have missed uh, quite a show. In our first hour, we were joined for an exclusive conversation by the relatively new sheriff, eight weeks in, Robert Luna. Uh, fascinating conversation with him. I've been seeing some of the responses. Uh, people found him to be earnest uh, and forthright and direct in his responses to our questions. We'll get Connie's take on that in a moment. Uh, we were also joined moments ago at the top of this hour, uh, I should say minutes ago, uh, by Ben Crump, uh, the attorney for the Nichols family, uh, on his way into the church in Memphis uh, to speak and to offer a call to action at the funeral uh, services today for young Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. We thank Attorney Crump for calling in. And we continue our conversation now with the brilliant, the towering public intellectual Connie Rice, who's really teaching a master class uh, on policing in this country. Uh, before I get to the sheriff, and the comments he made earlier today, Connie, um, you said earlier in our dialogue uh, that the laws favor the cops. Indeed, they do. I've had any number of conversations about this. Even today, I should say especially today, with this 6-3 to Supreme, six three, uh, divided Supreme Court conservative majority, uh, the laws continue. So it's not just they always have. They continue now, and perhaps for the foreseeable future, they will continue to favor cops. Is there anything to be done about that so long as the law favors the cops i don't see how you change it uh it's not that we haven't tried mm -hmm. I mean, litigators like 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 us uh we challenge the laws after they're they're passed mm -hmm. uh, you saw what happened even in the wake of uh the the amazing black lives matter protest 26 million people marching in the creating a global movement to make black lives matter uh, and with the masterful uh, uh, Mayor Bass's efforts when she was a congresswoman, she got that bill out of the House mm -hmm. and into the Senate as no one else in the Congress could. Mm -hmm. uh, but yet it, 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 uh, it didn't get passed. So even, um, and, and that's a modest reform of qualified immunity, barring chokeholds, trying to get some national standards, some data collected. That's not a revolutionary bill, and it could not get through. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that what you're seeing in state laws around the country, even in California, where, where you've got a much more progressive uh, legislatures uh, and local governments, at least along the coast, um, even there, you're, you couldn't get, for example, African-American uh, uh, legislators, some, uh, to, to, to stand up against uh, three strikes and you're out. Uh, so all of these mass incarceration engines, there's a whole uh, book of laws that, fu that fuels the mass incarceration strategy. Mass incarceration means we're not we're, we're not going to build colleges for your community. We're going to build prisons, mm -hmm. and we're going to put as many of your people in them as possible. And and so when when the country signed on to that, I don't see anything reversing that. Those are the fundamental physics of what we're doing. You look at the legal constructs. All of the standards are there to benefit to give the benefit of the doubt to the officers. And we do that because you know the larger society says the police run toward gunfire. They run toward bullets. They're there to protect us. And um, therefore, we have to back them up. We have to support them when they use force and when they kill because that's the police power of the state they are exercising. We give them that license in order to keep ourselves safe. The problem is the us in that, the we in that, mm -hmm. doesn't include poor African-American communities. Mm -hmm. They're not in that script. They're the target of that script. Those communities are not meant to be protected and served, they're meant to be contained and suppressed. 
after they've been written out of the economic script and when we create our ghettos and our barrios. And on the Kerner Commission told us 60-something mm-hmm. years ago, Kerner Commission said, look, and this is what you know, President Johnson was shocked by this because he thought that from the Kerner Commission, because it was a very conservative Indiana governor, I believe he was, uh, uh, who came out, he thought he was going to get a law and order, tough on crime. They were riot, black people rioting all over the place. Let's stop these riots. We're going to get a tougher, you know, mano dura. Let's, let's lock them up. Uh, he thought he was going to get that kind of report. And the Kerner Commission said, no, no, you've got to end the vicious economic exclusion and suppression and oppression of African-Americans, this sort of vicious, savage racism that's, that's, that's you know, uh, kissing cousins with the Klan's mm-hmm. level. Uh, you've got to get rid of anti-black uh, racism on the part of white America. Then you've got to do a Marshall Plan for the inner cities to get rid of the conditions that are the kindling for the riots. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to fix these brutal, racist cops. Three things. What have we done? <laughs> None of the above. What have we done? Yeah. Well, the one place we have yeah. actually made progress is on the police. I know sure. you, you know I, 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 at I, the top. I, I at the point. top, you you saw Sheriff Luna. You'd have never gotten an interview like that from from a from a top exe- police executive forty years ago. You'd have gotten Bull Connor, yeah. right? <laughs> no, so <laughs> point so, rotated. So, you know, yeah, yeah. But but on the other two, we've yeah. actually gone backward. We're yeah. more segregated. Mm-hmm. No, the racism the racism is different. Mm-hmm. It is not what our grandparents faced. Like my grandmother said, unless you've had to sit in the dark in Birmingham, Alabama, with a long gun over your knee, waiting for the Klan, you have no right to, 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 to complain about anything. Mm-hmm. You have not earned the right to complain. You've not earned the right to despair. So we don't face that everywhere. You know, we see the James Byrd lynchings. We see these awful videos of police, uh, of societal sanctioned violence against African-Americans through police action. And what, what, what Dr. King told us, and we keep forgetting this, see, we expect equality. As African-Americans, we, 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 you know, it's like 400 years, even more than enough time. When, when people were dying and marching, it wasn't just a vote. It wasn't just to, you know, be able to sit at a lunch counter. It was for full equality, full participation. And what Dr. King said, put it in perspective, he said, look, white America didn't agree to equality. The only thing that white America agreed to was to end brutality, end the 5,000 open lynchings that no one paid a price for. It, you know, if you're going to beat people with you're gonna sick dogs on them, maybe just don't get caught on camera. We don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. So they agreed to end the open brutality. They did not agree to desegregate. They certainly didn't agree to integrate. They did not agree to economic equality. They didn't agree to the voting rights. Remember when Lyndon Baines Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act? He said that's the end of the Democratic Party in the South. Give it, he knew. It up. He yeah, knew. Exactly. So, so when you look at the laws, our, our laws that grant police, you're not, as I said to some activists, you're not just suing a cop. You're suing the state's sovereign police power. They're not, they, they protect that with ironclad uh, uh, moats and, and walls. So, for example, Derek Chauvin, George Floyd's murderer, do you realize that even with a murder conviction, he would have gotten qualified immunity in a civil action by George Floyd's family? Why? Because the Supreme Court has made such a ridiculous standard under law and twisted that doctrine of qualified immunity. It's, like, it's worse than it's like a pretzel on LSD at this point he'd have gotten qualified immunity. So that's just one doctrine that protects cops in an absurd, absurd way. Uh, when, when um, you know, any kind of, first of all, let's talk about the standard. A reasonable officer 
Well, that's like, you know, when, when they say that I feared for my life and it's a re- So you, the standard is already through the officer's eyes. It's not through the community's eyes. It's not through uh, Tyree Nichols' eyes. It's not through George Floyd's eyes or Rodney King's eyes. It is through the officer's eyes right there. Now, I remember with Dr. with uh, Judge Keith, for whom I had the honor of, of clerking. Judge Damon Keith Judge in Damon Detroit. Keith, yeah, Detroit. love him, love him, love him. Uh, well, Tavis, you, you, you will crack up at this because you know, <laughs> you know I'm, a, I'm a feminist, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm your worst nightmare. I'm the Black Murphy Brown, you know that. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've arm wrestled over it. We yes, will continue yes, to. I we know. love each other. Oh, you know, I am a feminist. And I'll never forget, we had, we had this, there was this procurium opinion, and I, I handed it back to the judge. I said, this is about hostile sex, uh, hostile environment, work environment for women. They had Playboy centerfolds plastered all over the walls. I mean, it was, it was just a, you know, it was like, it was like, it was just, you know, toxic male heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so they were talking about the reasonable man standard. I said, judge, I said, when it comes to sex, there's no such thing as a reasonable man. I said, this had to be a reasonable woman standard. Yeah. And the judge, the judge looked at me and he said, are you crazy? I said, I want a woman, reasonable woman standard. You know my judge. He said, okay. He, he called Dr. Keith, his wife. He says, Connie says we have to. He wrote a, he wrote a, a minority, yeah. a dissenting opinion mm-hmm. that said there should be a reasonable woman standard. There should be a reasonable community standard yeah. when it comes to police. Yep. Not, you know. So anyway, you asked about the laws. Every law you can think of is the, the the play the playing field the legal playing field is tilted to to protect not just the cop Tavis but the sovereign police power. Yeah, I should give a quick history lesson. We we are, today's February first. It's the first day of Black History Month. A quick history lesson. Uh, Condi references a guy named Judge Keith. His name is Judge Damon J. Keith. He uh, passed away just a couple years ago. Uh, Condi clerked for him, as you heard her say a moment ago. And every time I would go to Detroit and hang out with Judge Keith, uh, he was a friend of mine, uh, he would always call Connie uh, lovingly his flamethrower. He called Connie the flamethrower. That was what uh, Judge Damon J. Keith called Connie Rice the flamethrower. Here's why Judge Keith uh, ought to be somebody you should study and and read and learn about. Being the first African-American to sit on that particular uh, appellate court, number one, uh, based out of Detroit. But uh, more importantly, after the Watergate case, he ended up getting, after the Watergate break-in, uh, the, the break-in at, at the Watergate in D.C., in the Richard Nixon era, Judge Keith ends up getting that case. He ends up getting the case about Watergate, and he writes a line that will forever live, uh, I think is one of the great lines uh, written by any jurist, and the line that he wrote uh, vis-a-vis the Watergate case was simply this, democracies die behind closed doors. Democracies die behind closed doors. It was a black judge who wrote that line, a black judge who got the Watergate case, a black judge who advanced that notion that democracies do indeed die behind closed doors. Just a little black history, a little bit of black history about who Judge Damon J. Keith was, and that is who uh, Connie Rice clerked for, and that is who we were referencing a moment ago. When we come forward with Connie Rice, we'll ask her her take on what what, uh, Sheriff Luna told us uh, an hour or so ago on this program. You're listening to KBLA Talk 15. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. Connie Rice, I want to come right to uh, Sheriff Robert Luna. I thank Sheriff Luna once again for giving us an exclusive conversation. By the way, if you missed our exclusive conversation last week with Michael Moore before uh, uh, he got his uh, second uh, five-year appointment, uh, reappointment yesterday. Check out our conversation with Michael Moore uh, on our podcast from last Thursday. Uh, and if you missed the conversation with Sheriff Luna uh, this morning, 
Uh, check out that podcast. We should be posted momentarily. Uh, you can listen to our conversation uh, with Sheriff Luna from this morning. In that conversation, right quick, watching my time, Connie. Um, I've been, I've been again, reading a lot of responses this morning to that conversation, and people found him to be uh, uh, open uh, and, and, and honest and, and earnest and forthright and direct. I mean, this guy walks in here after Villanueva and acknowledges that there are gangs inside the Sheriff's Department. He walks in here and acknowledges that there are civil rights and human rights abuses inside men's central jail. And that's just for starters. Um, but he was he was open and honest, even though in the month of January, uh, given this shooting in Compton last night on the last day of January, the sheriff's department, not unlike LAPD, has killed five people just in the month of January. But he was, again, very direct this morning in his answers to my questions. Very, you know, very forthright. Uh, what do you make of uh, of the of the, 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 the kind of at least transparency if not honesty that we're getting from the current sheriff that we didn't get from the last one well and just just to be clear uh uh when he was chief of long beach i, I joined the johnny cockham firm in suing uh <laughs> chief, <laughs> chief luna i'm and, not surprised then, i'm not surprised <laughs> but then i endorsed him yeah in the sheriff's race mm -hmm. and i endorsed him in the sheriff's race because he does believe in the rule of law mm -hmm. he believes in constitutional policing and, Sher and Sheriff Villanueva did not. Mm -hmm. So it, it, there was a clear choice there. I, I think he is sincere. Uh, remember I said that the one sector that had changes at the top? Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. Is mm -hmm. that the executive, you've got, you got, you got chiefs like Chief Ramsey, you, know, you had Chief Willie Williams, you had Chief Bratton, Chief Beck, you've you know, you got, you got a number of mm -hmm. chiefs and sheriffs. Um, they're still a vast minority mm -hmm. of the chiefs, but they have, they have changed how they see what they do. The problem is sheriffs and police chiefs don't actually run the culture mm -hmm. of their departments. Yeah. Um, the, de the, the culture of the department is run by the old guard sergeants in the back of the squad room who are doing thumbs down, who are vilifying Black Lives Matter, who are in a war stance right now, and who want warrior policing and do not want any of these changes that we're talking about. You supported Luna when he ran for sheriff after suing him as the police chief in Long Beach. <laughs> You were publicly against um, Michael Moore getting a second five-year term, even as you endorsed Karen Bass when she ran for mayor. So Moore got that second term yesterday with the mayor's support. Uh, what do you make of his second five-year term that he received yesterday from the police commission? I'm counting on it being short. Mm -hmm. So, so, so is the mayor, by the way. No, I'm counting on it being short. And, <laughs> yeah. and see, the mayor has to focus on homelessness. Mm -hmm. That's the burning crisis right now, and I totally support that. Um, I, I oppose the reappointment, but I opposed the reappointment before Mayor Bass got elected. Mm -hmm. um, I opposed it because I've known Michael Moore for 35 years, not 25 years. Mm -hmm. And, and um, uh, the thing about it is if he believed in the changes that had been made, he wouldn't have been attacking them for these four years. And I've had to do hand-to-hand -hand combat to save the community safety policing, partnership policing, the community safety program that we have out here. And, and all the wrong cops are leaving mm -hmm. because of the management style that he and his 10th floor have. So I can't endorse that kind of leadership that's, that's, that's toxic and that's retaliatory and the gaslights. So um, the mayor has made very clear to him that she expects the community partnership, the safety community partnership, CSP, to be protected. Mm -hmm. That's that wraparound uh, system. And we'll see if he respects the mayor's orders. Um, in the meantime, um, my view, you know, he's a great enforcer, uh, but he's not a good leader for trust. In our remaining moments with uh, Connie Rice, we will come back to uh, Tyree Nichols. Um, today he's being funeralized. Uh, in the city of Memphis, Tennessee, where he was uh, murdered by those five African-American cops. We'll return to that in our uh, final moments with Connie Rice on KBLA Talk 15.
Les Brown is standing by. The 11 o'clock hour of this program for the entire month of February becomes You've Got to Be Hungry with Les Brown. So Les Brown takes over the 11 o'clock hour in just three minutes from now. And if you miss him at 11, uh, you can always catch him at 6 o'clock on your way home every day in the month of February as he commences in a moment his radio residency on KBLA Talk 1580. In the two and a half minutes I have left, I want to get it all to Connie Rice. Connie, you say all the time to be in conversations. Tabis, you got to get your frame right, Negro. <laughs> get your frame right. I want to make sure we got the frame right. As we move forward beyond today, as they bury, uh, as they funeralize Tyree Nichols today in Memphis, what is the proper frame for us to be looking through in the coming days, weeks, and months? Vigilance. Mm-hmm. We, we there, there's the community is absolutely right to stand up and say no more, uh, not anymore, and 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 that's a stance that has to be taken, even if you're facing a mountain. Of, of legal and political and structural uh, 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 barriers. Um, it's absolutely the right frame to be in. The larger frame to have is, is, to, is to realize that as we're fighting to preserve the democracy, there's an opportunity to bust out the normal constraints. We need to demand what the Kerner Commission said. You, have, you cannot change the policing, the violence, and the trauma if you if you've designated if you've marked a neighborhood the profiling starts at the neighborhood it doesn't start with the individuals we have marked a red lined and green lined and and just you know uh, unlined and delined mm. entire communities and marked them for deprivation and that's what the Kerner commission said as long as you have deprivation zones you're going to send cops in there to suppress change that paradigm don't accept that frame insist on that Marshall Plan. Now, folks are talking about, I talk about refund the community. We've taken all the money out of the health care, education, all the systems, the, the nutritional systems. These are deprivation zones. Our children are in trauma zones and violent zones. And that's what we need to focus on. Refund the community. Zero tolerance for the kind of brutality that we saw, but also insist on the policing that the cops want to do. The good cops want to be with the community, not coming down on it and um let's work with there are i I represent a lot of good cops and um uh uh, let's go with them because they want a different vision too they don't want to be locking up everybody's children they don't want to be putting everybody's kids in the database you know they actually want to help go from search and destroy to heal and build let's go and let's go with that and run with it in one of our many prior conversations, Connie said something that I hold on to all the time, and it uh, I think it uh, bears uh, repeating today, given what she just said now. And uh, the line is simply this, that your zip code should not be your destiny. Your zip code should not be your destiny. One of the many uh, brilliant things that Connie Rice has said and continues to say as a regular contributor to this program. Connie Rice, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. A great conversation as always. Thanks, Tavis. Great show. Coming up next, you've got to be hungry uh, with Les Brown on KBLA Talk 15.